the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. We got our first snowfall. Not glad about that. Oh, man. It's snowing up in Toronto. It kind of flurried. Like, we get we get pretty strong squalls every so often, and uh, it stuck a little for a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, it was about like a centimeter, if that. And everyone's just like, boo. Yeah, I don't miss snow very much. I like living in California where it just rains instead of snowing. So <laughs> We get both. I, I don't miss the mornings at like 6 a.m. scraping my car off uh, to, oh. to, you know, while running it. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, people who tell me, oh, I love snow. I'd love to live where there's snow. No, you wouldn't. Not if you have to work <laughs> in it because it's like... In the southern states, if there's like a, a like a, a dusting of snow, they shut everything down. But even in Toronto, which is known for being really wussy about snow, if there's a snowstorm, you're getting your ass to work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that is a pretty decent segue into this big this week's big release, which is very snow focused, and that is mm. Horizon Zero Dawn: The Frozen Wilds. It's a DLC, obviously, for Horizon Zero Dawn. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about our latest Final Fantasy IX report. Sorry, no secret of model report again. Uh, it turns out it's it can be pretty hard to <clears throat> when you're playing a game co-op. It can be pretty hard to make time to actually sit down together to play the game. <laughs> that makes sense, actually. I understand. We're gonna try a, a little segment we're calling Twelve Good RPG Questions," but. Really quickly, first, Nadia, you're playing Etrian Odyssey 5? Yes, I am. I bought it last weekend, and I am, I've am i been kind of pecking away at it. Like, uh, I'm just finishing up the first stratum. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's uh, it's funny for a game that doesn't have much of a story, and it doesn't. It still has, like, entertaining dialogue, so that's really all I can ask for. Yeah, the characters in the village in particular are really vibrant. Yeah, they are. They're very vibrant. They're very funny. Um, I like how they're every time you go to a new level and you go back to the tavern, there's new things that people will tell you about, like the level you're on. Uh, in particular, there's a dragoon who swears his head off about every floor you visit, <laughs> saying like, "Oh shit, who told you? Who told me that level two was so easy? Oh shit, who told me level three was so easy?" <laughs> it just goes on and on. It's funny. A little bit of a meta awareness going on there, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a funny way to deliver like tips for how to get through an area. Yeah, I wrote an article right around the time that Etrian Odyssey 5 came out that Etrian Odyssey is the best hardcore RPG that you don't know about. Uh, you were someone who didn't really know about the series. No, I, I, I sort of knew about it by proxy because of like you and Parrish. I know Parrish is like, put it this way, I actually Googled Etrian Odyssey, the words, because um, I forget why, but the suggestion, the first suggestion that came up was Etrian Odyssey, Jeremy Parrish. <laughs> Well, so he's been advocating for it since the very beginning, going back to the days of One Up, when it first came out. Yeah, yeah, and I can see why it's um, it's a it's a very satisfying little RPG. And as someone who's uh, more story oriented than systems oriented, something we've talked about in the past, um, I still get a lot of enjoyment out of it. It's mm. it's hardcore. It, it can be difficult, but it's not inaccessible by any means. Yeah, when it first came out in 2007, it was very exciting, actually, because mm. 
Or the 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 Nintendo DS was still a relatively new experience, I think. Right. And it was really cool that you could map the dungeon with your touchscreen. It was a very yeah. old school PC kind of experience. And Yeah, it is very much. Yeah, and it was this first person dungeon crawler and it was like, oh, we're getting these new gaming experiences on the DS that we just have never really received on a handheld before. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially since the, uh, the DS didn't really know what to do with, with his touchscreen at first, but that was like, <laughs> probably the first really good use of it yeah and then it went a little overboard on the touchscreen didn't it <laughs> it did like i don't know if you remember uh castlevania dawn of sorrow where it made you draw that stupid ceiling uh, uh like symbol for every boss and it was just terrible and i love dawn of sorrow it's a great game but ugh. anything that made me draw was kind of annoying <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you want to draw an etrian odyssey because you want to map out your area but when you have to stop and pull out your stylus and it's totally mandatory. Yeah, no. Like with most Nintendo consoles, I didn't particularly like that they forced in the touchscreen in a lot of respects. Like, I don't know if you remember, but Ninja Gaiden used the touch, not only used the touchscreen, but I think it was played in portrait mode. Oh, geez. I don't, I didn't, I didn't play that. Yeah. Was that on the, uh, the DS, the Wii U? It was really good. Actually. It was a pretty solid game. Except for the whole drawing thing. I wasn't actually a big fan of you having to use a style to pl- stylus to play Phantom Hourglass. Yeah, that and Star Fox Command. Yes, Star Fox Command. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, interesting game, but I I would have preferred not having to use a stylus on that one. Basically, yeah. later I learned that it was basically Star Fox 2. Yeah, <laughs> it was, wasn't it? And then I played Star Fox 2, and I'm like... Uh, well, this is familiar. No yeah, no offense to Argonaut, but this has been done already and kind of better. I'm glad that we got Star Fox too, but yeah, but uh, yeah, you can see why Nintendo kind of scrapped it at the last second. Star Fox Two was totally worth it for the multitude of endings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, what are the classes you're using in Etrian Odyssey Five? Uh, let's see. I got a rover. Um, I got a let's see, a rover, a necromancer, a uh, herbalist. A dragoon and um, that the samurai ripoff. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that's a pretty solid party. So you're going. It's a pretty solid uh, party, and I think like I used like the tips that we, we kind of talked about Etrian Odyssey five and a, a couple episodes ago. So I remember you saying how the herbalist and the necromancer both really kind of work well together as um, as characters that cause status ailments. Like the fact that the necromancer can summon wraiths for five. MP each is kind of broken. (laughs) (laughs) And not only that, you can turn them into like fire bombs. So you literally light your race on fire and throw them at enemies, which is very handy. And they're also in the front, front rows. So they absorb damage as well, which is huge. Yeah. Yeah, I actually meant to ask, um, what is the benefit of the dragoon's bunker over, say, a wraith or a wolf? It's just another variation of that. So, but it's very reliable and you can uh, upgrade it to be able to become more reliably take damage for you so okay yeah because they're pretty solid um but there's only three front front spaces so far i don't know if Mm. you can get more but i tend to spend them i spend one slot on my wolf who kind of does auto regen and uh healing as you go which is really really handy and two spots for the wraiths who i either just have you know attack 
or I turn them into firebombs and throw them at, at enemies. You, but rates can be kind of in, undependable. So you might want to you might want to decide which you prefer, the necromancer or the the wolf summoner, because they're kind of redundant. Are they really? Yeah, because there's, be. like you said, there's only so many spaces, and you yeah. should really have a, a dragoon up front because, I mean, you should really have a dragoon because having because it's such a pure tank and you really need it to absorb damage, mm-hmm. and yeah, you could use that extra party space for DPS. DPS? Like damage per second? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 You're right. Like pure damage. I was thinking also, like, I was thinking I should have a mage, but I didn't really know if I wanted one or not. Um, I don't have a mage. I think I ultimately used a pugilist, and, like, I paired a pugilist with the, the samurai, and then I had right. the herbalist, necromancer, and dragoon in the back, so. What does the, the pugilist do? The pugilist just punches people in the face. <laughs> That gets the job done, I suppose. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. So just pure raw damage right up there mm. in front uh, and pairs pretty well with the samurai. So because one of them yeah, can, one of them can buff each other's damage and do mm-hmm. additional uh, damage while the others are all supporting in the back. So yeah, yeah. So I could really use more raw like destructive power in the party. So how far did you get? Oh, I didn't get that far. I didn't even beat the first stratum. <laughs> <laughs> like I yeah, had I'm... no illusions about reviewing this game or beating this game. Right. I was just like, I am going to play as much as I can before I, I run out of time. Uh, I ultimately, <laughs> I ended up getting totally distracted by Middle Earth Shadow of War of all things. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I don't even. Did I talk about this last week? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you. Ta- I know you talked about like how you didn't get through the first stratum yet because you have to start everything over once you're done with the first stratum or something like that. Uh, no, you get to the end of the first stratum, and you, I mean, you move on to the second stratum, which is right. okay. Well, here are more floors to conquer, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and the core appeal, of course, is building up your party, getting stronger and stronger. Uh, eventually unlocking those secondary classes and mm. facing even more and greater challenges. And once you get strong enough, you can go back to the first stratum and you can take on the FOEs and suddenly they're not so tough anymore. Yeah, I already beat a couple of those. I beat the owlbear and the uh, nice. giant toxipede. Oh, I mean, hey, maybe you don't need to listen to me. Maybe what you're doing is working for you. <laughs> well, I did try to beat like the big shrimp lobster monstrosity and it just destroyed me. Yeah, as they do. But, yeah, so it's really satisfying going back and conquering stuff easily that gave you a lot of trouble before, so. Yeah, yeah, so I'll definitely tuck away some more of it this weekend if I can. But it's pure progression, and Mm -hmm. as much as I like Etrian Odyssey 5, I always burn out, or Etrian Odyssey in general, I always burn out by the end of the first stratum, and it even happened with (laughs) me in Persona Q. (laughs) Yeah, because it's the same kind of game, right? Same kind of game, but with way more story. And, of course, Persona and, like, that wonderful Persona vibe. And I, I got kind of tired of it. But and that soundtrack. Uh, let me, Although uh, Atrian Odyssey 5 does have a great soundtrack. Atrian Odyssey 5 does have an excellent soundtrack, especially the, kind of the piano theme as you're walking through the forest. Very peaceful, that, but very dangerous. 
Yeah, that's kind of what turned me on to the game at first. I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this. So I'll, I'll download the demo. Thankfully, there's a really robust demo for the game. And so I'm kind of going through the menus opening in the opening minutes of the game. And I'm like, is that jazz music? <laughs> is that really smooth, calming jazz music? And yeah, it was. It is, in fact, smooth jazz with Mike Williams. <laughs> it to- it's totally Mike Williams music. All right, we'll check in on with you and see if you can stay with that Trin Odyssey 5. I'm curious if you mm. are still interested in it. Like I said, I'm kind of really distracted by middle earth shadow of war for god knows why it's like a (laughs) light rpg like substance (laughs) very digestible because you have different equipables right you have a sword Mm -hmm. you have a dagger you have armor you have a ring and you can there are variations like legendary epic rare that kind of thing and you can uh there's even socketed gems that you can put in Oh, wow. So you get all these gems. You can combine the gems into bigger gems that become more powerful. Uh, The to upgrade your armor, you can complete challenges to make them better. And they change the appearance of your character. It's actually not terrible uh, as thin RPG gruel uh, goes. (laughs) (laughs) So your character in Shadow of War has a ring, like as in one of the one true rings or the ring or... Yeah, he forges his own ring at the end of Shadow of Mordor. Wow, that is so Mary Sue. I love it. Yeah, he forges his own ring, but it's okay because it's not in the shadow of the of the Dark Lord. That's why, like, it's powerful. Oh, does that check out in the Tolkien verse? I have no idea. What? No, this is just its own thing. <laughs> I don't even like care about it. I I'm playing it seriously because I like running around in this actually rather attractive world. I like how absurdly OP it makes you almost from the start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like I trolling orcs. I do. Well, yeah, Tregus trolling orcs would be kind of fun. Yeah. They're they're kind of... Uh, I, I was never a big fan of Tolkien's orcs. They're always very one-dimensional. But since like that was the start of practically everything we know as f- fantasy in this day and age, I can't really blame him too much. I had a moment re- just recently where I spent a lot of time trying to get this war chief into my party because one of the key tenets of this game is you can dominate captains and war chiefs and bring them into your party but yeah so he was really high level so i shamed him down recruited him made him my bodyguard we were best of friends he was really giant he was crushing people and i'm like he would also call in buddies to help out and i'm like yeah i like you and then he betrayed me he betrayed me not here Oh no, the romance. What about and I tried to bring him back into the fold, but he had a new ability. It was Iron Will, because all of the oh. orcs have secondary abilities as well that give them buffs and debuffs. And he like could not be recruited, so I was like, okay, I'm going to shame oh. you until you kill yourself. So, <laughs> Wow, that's savage cat. So I repeatedly captured him and would uh-huh. shame him to reduce his level because, you know, he's at like level 27, I'm like yeah. level 18 or whatever. I keep bringing him down. He was at level seven, and Aww. but I couldn't catch him. I shamed Aww. him from war chief all the way down to captain of a backwater outpost. Aw, poor guy. What do you do? Like, how do you shame an orc? Do you pull down his pants over and over? <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, the way you capture them is that you do the press B when they're broken, which so you damage them enough till they're broken, and then you press mm-hmm. B to capture them, and then you uh-huh. put your hand onto their face. And you are given the options of, like, command, like, recruit, uh, 
you can fight to the death or you can shame them. And shaming them, as I said, reduces their level, makes them less powerful. And so I got him down to level seven, but I had him broken, but there were too many guys around. I couldn't get to him. And then I accidentally started him on fire and he died in a flaming heat. (laughs) Whoops. And I was like, well, that's the end of that. That was the end of that friendship. That was really sweet for a while there. Friendship ended with this guy. This guy is my new best friend. <laughs> Fire is my new best friend. Yes, exactly. So that was a fun, uh, stupid wow, little story. That was a story. Yes. I, I like Shadow of War, but man, it annoys me how much grinding they put into it. Yeah, and that's the whole, like, where the whole loot box controversy comes in. It gets old really fast because. Mm. You go through the whole first half of the game, and it's kind of interesting and story driven. And then the second, and then Act Two is like, okay, now you can command orcs, and also you're trying to take over this this fortress. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And you take over the fortress, and you're like, yeah, I'm awesome. And it's like, great, do it again in a new region. Ah, and and again, you know, I think that it would have been a lot better served making taking this giant fortress one of the key just things in the entire game like building the entire game around that making yeah, like making the taking of the actual fortress the culmination of like maybe the entire yeah. game instead meh eh. How many fortresses do you need more yeah. i conquered a region fortresses. uh the army that i built is in charge of that region now i get to do it again no oh boy yeah i guess that that checks out as if you want to conquer the world like alexander the great style but but i don't really want to it's it's gets repetitive real fast and i'm already so overpowered and i feel like i've gotten my enjoyment out of this game yeah so you've you've harassed enough orcs time to move on to pokemon yes yes you you warmed up with with orcs time to move on to pokemon yes it's the same thing really but yeah i will be shaming them until they die (laughs) that would be so terrible with pokemon can you imagine shaming pikachu till he kills himself (laughs) <laughs> oh my god i'm sure someone's written a fanfic like that somewhere but yeah that would be terrible yeah i'm not capturing you pikachu i'm not adding you to my army no i'm just gonna keep shaming you until you're the captain of a backwater outpost speaking of have you seen just don't the, ever the betray armies. me nadia just that's just what i'm saying <laughs> don't cross cat everyone you heard it here first no don't cross me have you have you seen the Z move for uh for um Mimikyu? i have not it just released today uh basically it's called it's, it's like called Eternal. it's called like let's play forever or something like that let's play forever yeah <laughs> and ever and ever okay that's really freaky given that mimikyu is like this ghost thing <laughs> yeah if you look upon mimikyu you die i mean make no bones about that oh what is the move uh basically he jumps up and you see his eyes kind of flash and he basically covers the rival pokemon with his gown or whatever you want to call it and you just see like a bunch of thrashing and then well the pokemon dies dear god or faints yeah dead yeah dead so it is kind of horrifying but adorable horrifying but adorable mimikyu already had a z move why did they need a new one because it's mimikyu damn it it's mimikyu damn it uh i well yeah we'll be talking about pokemon ultra sun and ultra moon next week and having lots of things to talk about on that front in the meantime uh horizon zero dawn the frozen wilds it is now out mike did a review which you can go read on the website 
neither of us have played it and sorry for not bringing Mike on the show to talk about it. Um, the screenshots are very pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's a good looking game. Uh, it is one of those games where you're like, you know what, I, I should really play this. I know I'd enjoy it, but who is a matter of finding time. I got Atrian Odyssey to play, man. The reason I bring it up, despite not playing it, is I'm curious what your thoughts are on the concept of a DLC that bolts on to the rest of the quest rather than extending the story. Mm, yeah, um, I would personally rather have more story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is more uh, story. It's a new quest. Well, you know, like more of a continuation of a story. I don't See, the thing is, I don't know how Horizon Zero Dawn's story finishes, or if it does, or if it ends on a cliffhanger. Because if you have a story that ends on a cliffhanger, and then the DLC just bolts more story onto some jutting outcrop of the uh, story elsewhere, that kind of pissed me off a little bit. You know what it reminds me of? Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the movies that you sometimes get out of animes, which are oh, yes. basically side stories, like Cowboy Bebop's movie is just a side story. Yeah, which I never saw that one. I don't know if it's any good. Which I don't like that in particular because often they aren't very satisfying. Yeah, yeah. They don't really tie into the story as neatly as they could. There's a couple of exceptions. Like there's 10 billion Dragon Ball Z movies. And I've seen a lot of them, but not all of them. Most of them are totally separate canon, but you do get occasional ones. Like, there's one that tells, like, the the story of Trunks and, like, kind of goes into the future that he's in. And I love that one. That's my favorite Dragon Ball Z movie by far. But everything else I can take or leave. The Pokemon movies have the... They, they have it down to a science. Yes. Every Pokemon movie has Ash meeting a brand new legendary Pokemon. Like, whatever legendary yeah. Pokemon they want to push in that particular movie like po- ash ends up meeting it he's now met like every every single uh legendary i'm pretty sure and be- befriended them because he's ash yeah and he can't win a friggin' like pokemon league but he can befriend every legendary pokemon that ever existed he's met god but he hasn't won the freaking <laughs> pop pokemon league goes to show god hates him i guess no i won't let you win anything uh my only problem is so on the one hand I like the idea of having more, st- just a new quest, right? Something new and interesting to explore. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn's Frozen uh, Frozen Wilds new region kind of, uh, it's a new region and it's pretty and it's snow covered yep. and you have new robots to kill and kind of a new side story to tell. And that really, and it adds like an extra 20 hours onto the game. <laughs> That's quite a bit. That's a lot of content. The game was already like 40, 50 hours, so it wasn't yeah, exactly short. short to begin with. So what it all adds up to, though, is it's the kind of stuff that you want to play organically as you're working your way through the game. Right. Like pretty much all of Skyrim's DLC, right? You don't necessarily go yeah. back after finishing the game to play the DLC. Same with, same with Fallout 4. Yeah. You go back to... I don't know, uh, you just you start a new game and then you just kind of tackle it as it comes, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's more interesting that way, I, I suppose. Uh, so you don't play a lot of Western RPGs, but have you encountered any DLC that you like? Um, tr- it's funny because when I do play like any RPG, I usually like say, oh, I'm going to play the DLC and then never get around to it. Mm. <laughs> I know that I will with uh, Zelda, which is, there's DLCs coming out for yeah, that Yeah, I can't wait. The, Amiibo, the Amiibos are out today. 
Oh, really? Oh, yeah. The the champion but, amiibos. God, I don't. Oh, I want uh, what's her name? The uh, the Gryudo champion. She's awesome. I want the bird. Oh, Ravi, Ravioli, or whatever his name is. The Rito champion. I like him a lot. I like all four of them, <laughs> but I got too many toys in this house. I don't. <laughs> I'm feeling a little self conscious about it. Not gonna lie. Have your parents cast judgment on you? They've cast judgment on me before when they come in here at my place and like, man. You could have like you could like make room for a baby if you just got rid of all the Mega Man shit. <laughs> it's more that I'm just self conscious about like hmm like I'll look around in my apartment and go hmm yes there are a few too many toys in here. So over the years I've gone kind of out of my way to clear it all out. But mm-hmm. so you played a fair amount of Skyrim. Did you ever do the Dawnguard uh, DLC? Yeah, I did some of that. And it's actually interesting. Someone brought up, I don't know who it was, but they brought up an interesting thing about, uh, say, for example, Skyrim, the complete edition that was released the other year. Um, It's kind of odd when you play Skyrim for the first time, just theoretically, and you you hear about, oh, there's dragons, dragons everywhere, we're going to die. But then you go into Whiterun for the first time, and you start hearing about vampires because of the the Dawnguard stuff, which is tacked on. So that's a little distracting, and I agree with that. And there's also the... Uh, there's also the 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 Morrowind DLC. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where you go to a whole new island. Yeah. <laughs> so when you when you do kind of have that stuff uh, like from day one, that it, it can get quite distracting. It's almost overwhelming in a way because exactly. all of a sudden, so you're just playing through in a natural course, and all of a sudden people just start showing up, telling you about this DLC, and you're like. Am I strong enough to take on this DLC? I do not know. What What is the recommended yeah, exactly. level for this? Yeah, yeah. So it is It is very intimidating. And, I mean, let's face it, Skyrim is not a short game no. in its vanilla state. So Witcher 3, Blood and Wine, a lot of people listed it as just one of the best RPGs of 2016 straight up because mm-hmm. it uh, not only extends the story, adds in an incredible new region adds in just this really beautiful like the fact that you can have your own vineyard and that kind of thing and then more awesome. or less wraps up the story <laughs> make wine finish the story you're good as usual witcher 3 kind of does it right and I, I think the thing that i really like about witcher 3's dlc is that it's just so different from the core game mm-hmm. it's really gorgeous and mm-hmm. bright and vibrant and french versus versus the kind of the core game which is dark in eastern european though i mean obviously there are places in eastern europe which are really gorgeous but yeah you you know what i mean like eastern european fantasy has its own vibe right it really does and i it's it's one part of the world i really love to visit because i have like a lot of i have like family from there so oh it's beautiful i've been to the czech republic touch that part of my blood yeah the czech republic is gorgeous especially prague yeah that's where my my grandfather's from the carpathian mountain region Mm, yeah if you can ever get out to prague i strongly recommend it but i suppose what i'm looking for in an art dlc for an rpg like this is not only a new area that adds something new to the core game uh i'm okay with a self-contained story in fact Mm. especially if the self-contained story is really great uh, see, Fallout 4, actually, yeah. uh, everybody loves to malign that, but it had an amazing piece of DLC where, and pardon me, 
the the name escapes me at the moment, but it's not Point Lookout. That's the Fallout Three DLC, but it, it's in that vein where you go to an yeah, island. I think I remember you, yeah, talking about it. Was it something Harbor, Boston, Far Harbor, or something or Far Harbor? That's yes, it. that's it. I think you go to Maine. <laughs> that's a Far Harbor, all right. There's fog and monsters coming out of the fog, and Ooh, I'm all about that. The best thing about that game was it had its own kind of self-contained little ecosystem. And it gave you so many more choices. And I think I, I'm, <laughs> you can do a lot of different things. You can make peace between the various people or whatever. And I was like, nope, the religious crazies here are legitimately dangerous. They're only going to spread. I really hate them for the most part. I'm going to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> Cull them now, I suppose. So I went and I convinced them that it was time for them to join heaven and <laughs> made them activate the the core and the nuclear sub or the, activate the missile in the nuclear submarine and blow themselves up. <laughs> I love how Fallout, the universe in general, has been like just decimated by, by nuclear war, but there's still all these nuclear toys running or like lying around that you can sure. like fuck around with, like the uh, Megaton, which I never blew up. I know a lot of people blew up Megaton, but I never did it. It'll be like a thousand years after we're dead, but people will stumble upon a cache of nuclear weapons and go, what are these? Oh, it's like The Stand. I don't know if you ever read that or I did. I did, in fact, read The Stand. Uh, yeah. Good so. book. Gets a little slow in the end. Yeah, but we all know how it ends. Yes, exactly. So it's pretty much what you just talked about. <laughs> Mass Effect 2, interestingly, has a lot of different DLC. Uh, Lair of the Shadow Broker is one of the most satisfying uh, one of the most celebrated ones and that tells a kind of interesting story where so one of the main characters through the entire story and once again forgive me i don't remember blue girl <laughs> the asari uh she she is not a huge participant in mass effect 2 which is kind of a drag if you dated her in mass effect 1 but she's kind of come right. into her own in mass effect 2 and then in the dlc you team up with her and suddenly she's like a full-blown badass and they take the time to do a lot of cool things in that game there's a flying car mm-hmm. chase kind of a la attack of the clones <laughs> nice there's a bit where you're on top of a ship and then there's this wind that's going to be blowing you off the boss battle's really good it's just a great great piece of dlc one mm-hmm. really fantastic piece of self-contained content yeah it's always good to have that like self-contained story uh because what we were just talking about with skyrim like that gets really confusing when Mm. like people are telling you all about the dlc and you're like i don't know what this has to do with what i with my main quest i never had any particular interest in becoming a vampire so i never really engaged with the vampires suck so to speak yeah they're not very good Uh, being a dong being a vampire in skyrim is kind of the worst yeah werewolves all the way baby yeah werewolves are the best are you kidding me (laughs) it's like almost they're almost unfairly good Oh, I know, like, so many of my, my girlfriends are in love with Farkas, too. You you get really ugly if you're a vampire in Dawnguard. <laughs> you do, don't you? Like, damn, no, thank you. I, I'm trying to remember, um, it's almost a little like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where if you become, an, at first you're kind of the handsome, sexy vampire, but as you get older and older, you eventually become like the master, where you just become yeah. almost like this weird corpse thing. <laughs> These, like, really <laughs> gross long fingers and all that stuff. Well, at least you don't sparkle. At least. There, there you go. Twilight joke. Really timely. <laughs> Welcome to 2009, Nadia. 
<laughs> I read all those books, you know, I'm an idiot. It's funny because I'm watching Parks and Rec right now, which is firmly set in 2009, complete with all of the jokes. And I'm like, oh, God, I remember that. Oh, God, I remember that. Oh, God. Yeah, you think it's like 2009 wasn't that long ago. Oh, no, it kind of was. So one more thing about DLC that kind of bolts onto the main game. It can kind of throw the weapon balance out of whack a little bit. Yeah, I guess, it, uh, do you mean if like if you find like a powerful weapon like meant for the DLC and you bring it back into the uh, the main timeline? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I could see how that could screw things up a bit. Just a little bit, so. So yeah, yeah, DLC in general, I suppose, can kind of throw uh, balance out of whack if the, if the game's not careful. Because expansions, by their very nature, are meant to be worth your money, right? So. Yeah. Especially if they're a fairly large expansion, like the Horizon Zero Dawn Frozen Waste DLC. And so they're going, well, okay, well, we want to make it worth their while by giving them really good stuff for participating. And so often the weapons end up being just really crazy OP. And then you can just yeah. <laughs> run through the rest of the game. And that's maybe not as satisfying, I don't yeah. think. but. But yeah, I, I was mentioning Mass Effect 2 earlier. One of the interesting things they did was they made the final piece of DLC a lead-in to Mass Effect 3. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, which can be maybe a useful approach if you are doing a, a trilogy and you know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that's that's kind of a the kind of thing I like, even though I know it's really a blatant commercial for the next game. Just that I like bridges. Yeah. I think it's kind of tough to bolt on DLC to the end of the game because I'm betting that they're, they probably have internal metrics on how many people actually end up finishing the game, and it's actually not that high. <laughs> yeah, if you ever look at like your friend's uh, trophies or achievements, uh, especially trophies, you can see, like you know here's the trophy for the end of the game, and you can see how many of your friends got it or how many people got it in general. And more often than not, the trophy you get for finishing a game is in the rare or very rare category. Yeah, it definitely is because people run out of time, they get other games, they get literally to the final mission and go, oh, I'll finish this later, and then never get around to it. And, yeah. So endgame DLC, that's the problem is that if you do endgame DLC, then plenty of people will be like, well, I haven't finished it, so I'm not going to buy it. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right about that. I never thought about that, but you got a point there. And of course, if you have just the regular DLC, that makes it uh, makes the inevitable Game of the Year edition all that much more enticing. <laughs> there you go. Because then you can get all the DLC together, and it's like, oh, look at this! I got this big old game now. So, and way <laughs> more content that I would have gotten at launch. And I'll play it all. I'm sure. Yes. So, go check out. Mike's Horizon Zero Dawn Frozen Wastes review over on the wilds. site. Frozen Wastes. I don't know. That's. I guess that's <laughs> Frozen how, W's. I guess that's how I kind of see Horizon Zero Dawn in my mind. Frozen Wastes. <laughs> Frozen Wasteland. He talks a bit about uh, just. It, he gives a pretty solid overview of what you can expect from it and how it relates to the rest of the core content and. Also, you can stare at lots of very pretty pictures, because if there's one thing that Horizon Zero Dawn does right, it's photo mode. Oh, yeah. It's a very pretty looking game. <sighs> yeah. So, okay. Nadia, let's just skip right on to the Final Fantasy IX report. 
All right, we're running out of time. So we are going to skip the 12 good RPG questions. Keep that for a rainy day. So if you want to submit <laughs> some questions of your own, uh, I'm really curious. Um, we were kind of doing it yeah. in an either or format. So, but let's move on to the Final Fantasy IX report. I think this is number eight. And mm-hmm. Nadia, we are getting dangerously close to the end. Run me through what has happened since we last played. Uh- well, basically, if I recall correctly, when we left off last time, Kuja had kidnapped my party Gasp. and said to, uh, what's his face, Zidane, hey, go get this uh, glug ug stone for me. <laughs> and uh, it's in the desert palace. So Zidane says, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So Zidane goes to the desert palace, gets the stone. Uh, I'll, I'll complain about the desert palace later. And uh, brings back the stone. Uh, Kuja is like, you know, takes off as usual. Uh, and I actually ended up rescuing uh, Sid's wife because she was being held captive in this is this palace, it turns out. So I retrieved her and I got the airship. And now I am on my way to, uh, apparently there is a castle that links Kuja's world to Zidane's world because apparently Kuja lives on quote-unquote Terra. And the world I'm on in Final Fantasy IX is called Gaia. So, that's an interesting... Uh... How, how very Final Fantasy thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Uh, but yeah, so I am... I've got an airship. Hooray! Hooray, you did it! The Hildegard 3. Yes, the Hildegard 3. More than one airship. There are many airships in this game. Yeah, at least they number them. I think we talked about last time about how Final Fantasy IV had airships literally all over the map. They look pretty badass, though. I, I really like the design of the Hildegard III. It's really nice. It's a, it's a pretty cool airship. Um, I mean, let's face it, the Final Fantasy IV's airships are just regular ships with propellers attached to them. For the most part, yes. Uh, they got a lot sleeker going into Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. It became a little freaking spaceship in Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, that's right. The worst thing I, the thing I always hated was in that in ten, it was just a menu system. Was it? Uh, see, I never. I don't know if I got that far in ten. I never. Maybe I should do a ten report. <laughs> you never finished ten? Wow. I never finished ten. Jeez. Well, so you never finished eight, nine, or ten? Yeah, but eight I I didn't like. So. <sighs> Nadia. I have a reason for that. Nadia. Nadia. No, the only the only thing I like about eight is Laguna. Nadia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Let's start with the Desert Palace, which you said you're not a big fan of. Oh, it's so pretentious, like Kuja. Pre- exactly. Pretentious. I guess, I, I guess that's a good way to they mirror each other perfectly. Uh, here's the problem I have with the Desert Palace. Um, Final Fantasy IX, my main complaint about it is that the dungeons are hard to get through because, again, the backgrounds don't always show you where you can go. And I really, really wish that they had put that thing in Final Fantasy, what they have in Final Fantasy VII, where you press the select button and you see where the exits are. That's all I'm asking for. Um, but with uh, with the Desert Palace, not only is it kind of hard to tell your way around, but also something about the hit detection with the... Like, you're supposed to trigger a bunch of candelabras to get anywhere in the stupid palace. And something about the hit detection for those candelabras is off. Like, you'd ki- if you get a, a prompt that says, hey, you can push this, like, it kind of flickers. It, it's there and it's gone. Like, you don't even know if you saw it. It's not very solid. I just had a really hard time getting through that palace. I had to consult an FAQ to see what I was doing, where I was going. I actually said on Twitter, I don't know who designed this palace, but I hope they went to video game jail. <laughs> <laughs> it was 
Terranova Sakaguchi. No, come on, Sakaguchi. And not only that, the, the hints they give you because there's a bunch of obtuse puzzles everywhere in, in this stupid place. And the hints they give you, the, the clues are all written like all, all like deep and fancy and, and like Evangelion anime bullshit. I can't even understand what it was trying to tell me about angels and demons and and, and I just did not have fun. And to make things worse, the enemies in that palace. Um, there are certain enemies that kind of shuffle between um, like a physical weakness and a magical weakness, and if you hit the wrong weakness, they'll they'll destroy you. Mm-hmm. So with a with a bad counterattack. So I was really glad to get through that palace. Um, there were a couple of interesting story reveals. Like uh, apparently there was a civilization on the planet that uh, is gone now, and they left behind like a record of their achievements, I suppose, in this desert palace, and they. They kind of talked to you a little bit about that and what they're all about, but I didn't quite understand it fully yet. I'm supposing, like, these are gaps that have to be filled in as we get closer to the end of the game. Uh, so, long story short, to hell with the Desert Palace. To hell with the Desert Palace. <laughs> <laughs> so, a few things. Uh, so, you have Sid with you in this one. Yeah. Yep. Sid's, uh, Sid's a human now. Well, yeah, he's a frog in the Desert Palace still. He was a frog in the... Oh, that's right. And there's that stupid minigame with him, too, where he had to, like, creep up on a hedgehog pie and grab the key. Screw that game, too. Yeah, it's it pretty... pretty it it looks pretty music. annoying. So I was watching the, the Let's Play of it, and I'm just like, oh, God, I have vague recollections of this, and I remember being really annoyed by it. Yeah, and you have a timer, of course, because of course you do. Because you have the timer because he's turning around. He has his back turned on you, but he'll, like, periodically turn around. And if yeah. you mess up and he sees you, he'll be like... Rah, rah, rah. But, of course, you have to yeah. be... But you have to beat the timer, too. Yeah, of course. Of course you have to beat the timer because you just got it. And then it's funny. You, ent- you re-enter the room later as, like, a fully grown human again when you get Zidane back. And uh, the hedgehog pie is gone. And the FAQ I read said, like, maybe the Moogle in the room ate him. Because ah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a save Moogle in the room. And then you're also doing other puzzles with Sid as well, right? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, yes, that's right. The weights. The stupid, stupid weights. Yeah, I don't I understand the weights. Can you explain them to me? Uh, I don't even know because, you know what? When I finally finished that stupid thing with the key, I had a minute left and I said, I am not screwing with this. And I looked up the answer. But basically, you have to balance the weights so that one side is higher up, one side is lower down. And Sid can use that to jump up and, and hit the the uh, the timer, the hourglass timer that's supposed to uh, save everyone and, and release them from captivity because of course Kuja being all evil and stuff he promises oh yeah your friends will be safe but then he uh starts kind of slowly opening the floors below their cells and of course there's lava below there blah 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 blah, blah. so yeah i think there are two reasons that they went about this approach with the desert palace one mm-hmm. is i think the tech was fairly settled at that point so they could focus a lot more on the actual design and okay, yeah. so they were having a lot of fun maybe too much fun <laughs> Maybe a little too much fun, yeah. And I think it was also a response to the criticism that was leveled at Final Fantasy VIII and to a lesser extent nine, or sorry, seven and eight, uh, where people were like, oh, the dungeons in Final Fantasy VII are just a corridor. Well, yeah, but that's okay. Is I, it? I find, well, I don't know. Final Fantasy doesn't always excel at puzzles. When I think puzzle RPG, I think Zelda. I think, you know, Lufia. I don't really think Final Fantasy quite as much. When I do think of puzzles in Final Fantasy, I think more about, like, say, for example, Final Fantasy VI, where you had to divide your party into three several times to to hit switches for each other. That was kind of neat, even though it frustrated me as a kid. 
now that I'm older, I appreciate that. But if you're going to throw puzzles at me, don't make them obtuse, number one. Uh, translate them properly, number two. Number three, give me some hit detection that works. Let me know what I can touch and what I can't touch. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. Uh, and in general, the thing that was always frustrating about Final Fantasy's uh, puzzles, and it was a, a similar problem that I have with Pokemon, actually, is that really you're just wandering around hitting switches, and it's meant to be time-consuming. And in yeah. the process, you have to fight random battles. And if there's one thing yeah. that drives me crazy, it's, okay, uh, I'm walking along. Oh, good, another random battle. Sweet, another exactly. random battle. Oh, oh boy, another what random battle. <laughs> what was I doing again? Yeah. I'm pushing yeah, this and boulder, actually... and here comes a random battle. <laughs> I think it was, I looked up the um, the LP on lparchive.org for uh, this, this uh, particular part of the game. And basically, the person who was playing the game labeled it, I hate this dungeon, fuck this dungeon. And that was the name of that whole area of the playthrough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair and enough. I'm like, yeah, I, I feel you, buddy. I feel you. Yeah, I, I think the thing is that I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that it's really obtuse. It's mm-hmm. not, uh, they went a little overboard with the puzzle design. Like, they were going, well, so many other previous Final Fantasies was just wandering around hitting switches. So how can we make this more interesting? I don't know. We'll have this really yeah. crazy weight mini game. It had this weight mini game, and not only that, it's like the candle. There's a part where you have to open up a, a door by lighting all the candelabras at the same time. And of course, one candelabra turns off one door, or one lights up another door. It's and the, the main problem I have with that too is you have to look watch the animation every single time, like the, the character lighting the stupid candelabra. And that adds up. <laughs> adds up just a little bit in terms of time. I I think the thing with this is also that it's kind of a long dungeon. Like, it really overstays its yeah. welcome, right? It really does. Um, and it's not so much the dungeon that's long. is that there's so much backtracking and trying to figure out where you're going. And, again, the, the random encounters, the battles are not easy ones you can blow through. It's just bleh. And also the random encounter, like the hit rate is fairly high, or the random encounter rate in the original game is fairly high, and it takes forever to load into a random encounter. Of course, yeah. Thankfully, you know what, at one point I just said, screw this, and I turned off random encounters. I said, I'm not going through this anymore. I've earned my keep. (laughs) I've earned this this turn off. So I don't remember this dungeon, like, at all, but I do remember getting, but when I was watching it, I suddenly started getting heartburned. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm like, hmm, the- interesting. When I was watching Sid sneaking up on the whatever the th- heck thing that you were talking about, I started getting heartburn yeah. and having tr- PTSD flashbacks. Yeah. And so <laughs> dungeon PTSD. I must have played this, hated it, and totally wiped it from my mind. Yeah, yeah. Don't you love it when you replay a game? You're like, oh, I love this game. I'm going to have a lot of fun replaying this. And you get to a part and you're like, oh, oh, oh right. that part. The, oh, God. This thing the part where you always go oh god i'm just gonna have to hold my nose and suffer through this part oh thank god it's over (laughs) thankfully really like the the new additions to the playstation and steam version of the game helped a lot i don't know what i would have done without them the the thing the the er example of that for me is in xenogears when you're climbing up the tower of babel and you have to platform and you have to hit and first of all the platforming ain't very good and second of all, <laughs> the, you have to hit it precisely. And if you don't, you fall all the way back down to the bottom of the dungeon. And oh. you have to do all of the random encounters again. 
and the encounter rate is fairly high and yeah that was so traumatic that to this day i'm just like fuck that part part of my language (laughs) yeah i I was not a big fan that's like me and breath of fire 3 i don't know if you you, have you played 3 i don't think you have have i haven't played a single breath of fire game nadia (gasps) maybe that should be our next report oh god there's a there's a there's a dungeon in breath of fire 3 called angel tower where you have to push blocks and it's it's really hard to push blocks from an isometric perspective. <laughs> it's not fun. Yeah, no. Any game that tackle, tackles on that kind of stuff just annoys the heck out of me. I always thought Chrono Trigger got it just right in terms of being able to do the puzzles. Uh, they were light and enjoyable and not too time-consuming. And because it didn't have the random encounters, it wasn't a chore. Yeah, exactly. I always say, God, the victory road in Pokemon was always the worst example of this because it's moving all of the stones around and using every single one of your HMs and wanting to kill everybody. And thank God they got rid of HMs in Pokemon Sun and Moon, so it wasn't as much of a big deal. When I think of uh, horrible Pokemon puzzles, I think think it was Team Rocket's uh, hideout where you had those stupid conveyor floor, conveyor belt floors. And it was hilarious to watch Twitch play Pokemon trying to get to that part. Like, I think it took them days. <laughs> Literally days. D- it took days. <laughs> the worst part, I think the worst victory road was in Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, where you go through this really long victory road. And then when you get to the end, as a one big middle finger to you, it has the hardest single trainer battle in the entire game. Which one was that again? When you take on, um, I mean, he starts off, I, I forget what his name is, but when you first meet him, he's this weak, sickly boy. I think his name is oh. Wally? Walt, Walt, or, Walt. Yeah, and he has that stupid mushroom thing. Yes, and he. Raltz. Uh, and he captures a Raltz, and you're like, good for you. Aww, <laughs> and you periodically re- meet him. And then when you meet him in Victory Road, he's this uber powerful trainer. <laughs> <laughs> and you have That's to get into this really a hard battle and if you haven't and if you've used all of your potions and things to get through victory road because the the, the the elite trainers and everything will really drain your your levels and everything you're going to have a hard freaking time and then if you lose yeah. you have to go all the way back Oh my god. That's hilarious. That's a great troll from the developers. I yeah, so if you didn't save and you probably didn't save beforehand you're screwed. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, because uh, you probably don't even know because you're like, aha, the entry, the exit, at last. I am so god no. <laughs> <laughs> can't you tell the kid to show off? Like, hey, come on, I did you a favor. And actually, I don't think you can just save in the middle of the game in Ruby and Sapphire. I think you have to go to a, a PC or something like that to save your game. Oh, really? I thought Pokemon, like in the first one, you could just save whenever you wanted. It was really handy. I don't remember. But in any case, even if you can, you probably didn't because you just saw the exit. You're like, I'm good. I'm safe. I'm, oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah, it was oh, me. No, but I digress. Uh, you also fight Zorn and Thorn in this uh, the, the Desert Palace, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And they go yeah. full Cronenbergian on you. Yeah, that was a thing, wasn't it? Like, uh, what's his name? Um, Kuja is like, oh, well, you know, you can hang out with the twins for a while but the way i hear it they're not twins and they turn to this like huge monstrosity that is just fused and it's like oh god and that really loves status ailments don't you love those status ailment bosses 
there's like I don't know what status ailment it is in particular, but there's a, a status ailment that freezes your character, poisons them, and saps their MP, and it's really terrible. That is really terrible. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a hard time yeah. with them? I had a bit of a time, but it wasn't too bad. I'm a, I think I'm a little bit OP because I mm. I don't run away from too many battles. Okay. And let's face it, with uh, Final Fantasy IX, if you know what you're getting into and you equip the right abilities, you're usually okay. Yeah, well, be careful because the the bosses in the final dungeon are... If you're underleveled, they're going to probably kill you. So make sure that you're at the right level. You'll know. You will know if you're underleveled because the first time I played through Final Fantasy IX, they kind of kicked my ass. So, but yeah, but I, I'm the idiot who went through uh, the After Years and went through every floor of the Final Moon Dungeon, and there that thing, that game at the end is just loaded with like all the Uber bosses from all the previous Final Fantasy games. So I managed that somehow for some reason. Yeah, Zorn and Thorn, very Rick and Morty, kind of freaking me out. <laughs> There is a, a great parody of a 90s commercial. I don't know if you ever saw this, but three kids uh, drink this power juice and turn into I turn that. into the energy juice and fly off and they are wrapping together and it's and they arrive at yeah. their mom's house. But when they appear, they're this horrible mixed up Cronenberg monster, <laughs> Rick and Morty style. And then the rest of the commercial is them fighting and trying to kill it. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. Kill it with fire. So that, that Zorn and Thorn in a nutshell right there. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, no, and the design of that boss is very kill it with fire. Oh, yeah. it's uh, There aren't too many horrors in Final Fantasy IX, but that thing was a horror. That was absolutely a horror. And you, thank God you don't see them come together. It just goes straight into the battle. But yeah. you can kind of imagine it. <laughs> It's kind of reminded me a little bit of like Final Fantasy Nine, uh, Final Fantasy Seven with the Genovas, where they were obviously meant to be monstrosities, but they were more like triangles put together. And you said, "Okay, Square, good job. I see what you're going for." Yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, no, they look they look pretty freaky in Nine. So you finally get out of the Desert Palace. You get the airship. Thank God. You, you meet Hilda. Yeah, I met Hilda. She was nice. I liked her. Sid is like, she... please, God, turn me back into a human. Oh, help. I'm sick of being a bug or a frog or whatever. Uh, yeah, they, they reconciled. That was sweet. I, I like that scene. She said Kuja basically spilled his entire plan to her. Do they say why? Like, Or is it just like something he did <laughs> because he was overconfident and bored? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and... So, uh, and now you have the airship and you get to wander around a little bit, except no. I actually, no, I actually uh, did wander around a little bit because I went to, um, I went to the Black Mage Village and mm. kind of like talked to them again because they, they were all like feeling kind of ripped off and remorseful because they basically partnered with Kuja because Kuja promised, oh, I'll extend your lifespans. And of course, once they joined up, Kuja said, haha, I'm li- I lied, I can't do shit for you and I won't do shit for you. So they all went back home, and that was kind of sad because they kind of had to realize they, well, they're going to die, number one. And number two, you know, they may as well just die where they're happy, which is their village. Sad. Jeez, how tragic. The baby chocobo hatched. They were were looking after a baby chocobo egg, and it was really cute. The circle of life. (laughs) New life. uh, Life is renewed, and it is good. Uh, Memo to villains. Keep your promises. Yeah, come on, dudes. Like, Kuja's so boring. I'll I'll probably get more into that with the written Final Fantasy Now report, and once I see if he actually has anything to him. Mm. 
Uh, oh, by the way, I did go through uh, Mount Mount Guglug. Guglug. How do you pronounce that? Yes. I love the music for there. That's like the a remake of the of the Final Fantasy One music. Mm. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And and what did you think of the mountain and the events that happened there? Uh, I think that's where that's that's actually where I wound up fighting Zorn and Thorn, if I recall correctly. Mm. Uh, I was I thought I fought them in the Desert Palace, but no, I got confused. Uh, I liked that dungeon. Uh, again, I got a little confused with where I was going, but once I figured it out, um, that was a little freaky too because that's the area where there's all these red dragons and they just jump scare you. Oh, right. Thing. Yeah, that is totally a thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you're kind of creeping into a room like, is there going to be a red dragon here? Is there going to be a red dragon here? Oh, God, there it is. <laughs> so, yeah, I beat up the red dragons. Um, they were trying to, I think Zorn and Thorn were trying to extract uh, Echo's Eidolons. Ah, uh, yes. And, uh, and yeah, that's right. Um, her guardian Mog, literally named Mog, turned into a big-ass Eidolon and basically saved her life. And this is really interesting that, I think the, the Eidolon that Mog turned into is named Medin, which is the name of Terra's father in Final Fantasy VI. Oh, wow. Okay, that's Although a reference. It was, it was translated in the original translation as, Ma- I think, Maduin or something like that, but his name is Medin in Japan. So it, the, the, it culminates with uh, Dagger, now Garnet, now called Dagger because she has a dagger that helped her make various decisions. I don't know if I would trust my decision-making to a knife myself. <laughs> I would. Uh, she decides to... Uh, she does something pretty momentous. And how did you feel as you watched it? Oh, yeah, that's right. She she basically cuts off her hair, which is a very anime-slash-video-game JRPG thing that a lot of female characters do. Like, I remember seeing... Of course... A lot of us probably first saw it in Mulan, or uh, I think it also happened in Princess Mononoke. Um, although it wasn't San who did it, it was the male character. Uh, the first place I saw that, I think, was in Wild Arms. Uh, Cecilia, the, the female character, she's a princess, and she cuts off her hair. And as I understand it, it's a very sort of Japanese thing, isn't it? Kind of severing your ties to family and royalty in particular. So she did that. Um, changes her portrait, which I really like. I think that was great. Her character portrait. Great. So yeah, and, she, it, uh, and it gets its own cutscene too, fully animated yeah. and everything. So. Yeah, that was a really nicely done cutscene. Yeah, uh, I actually like that part. And uh, yeah, her hair all blew away. It's meant to empower her, and yeah, now she is empowered. She has kind of found her. I mean, she's kind of come full circle as a character. She's. I I don't know if you would say that she's completed her arc, but she's kind of found what she's looking for. I would say. Yeah, like she's basically found her direction because for a while there she lost her voice after her mother died and um, she returned to Alexandria and uh, kind of visited her mother's grave and determined, well, you know, I'm the one, I have to be the princess of this place, I have to take over, but first I have to make things right. I The people <clears throat> have to see I have strength. So she that's part of why she cut her hair, kind of to just, I, I don't know if the word is bring herself down, but kind of ground herself, I suppose. And so, yeah, she's part of the party now for good. And uh, she got her voice back so she won't just suddenly start randomly failing in battle again. The other subtext, of course, is when you're cutting off your hair, you're inherently making yourself more masculine because men have shorter hair. And so and we associate uh, masculinity with strength. So she is becoming more masculine, which is a signal to she's becoming more powerful. 
Yeah, yeah, that's uh, there's that too. Yes. Well, cutting my hair was the best decision I ever made in my life. Oh God, uh, my girlfriend cut her hair, and I'm so jealous. <laughs> Why don't you cut yours? Because I don't think I would look very good with short hair. I didn't think so either. But I used to have um, I used to have hair down to my butt when I was born. I had hair down to my shoulders. It was ridiculous. What? So my mom, yeah, my mom kept my hair long when I was through my girlhood. But here's the thing: I had long hair, but I have very thin hair. I actually have alopecia, and uh, so I just lopped it off. Best decision I ever made in my life. I've tried to grow it again. It was terrible. I said nope, <laughs> never again. Short hair forever. Thank you. I had short hair in high school, and because I. You know, I think everybody goes through that phase. And I grew it out again in college and never looked back because I didn't particularly like how I looked. And also, uh, my, my I think my hair is my best trait because it's... You have very nice hair. Thank you. It's it's very thick and naturally wavy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I'm kind of reluctant to get rid of it. But Yeah, no, you have nice hair. Like I said, my hair was very thin. It, in my family, my in the, my mother's side of the family, like... My aunt, my grand, my uh, both my aunts actually all have very thin hair, so I inherited that. Lucky me. Though, if you want to make a point and cut off your hair, I wouldn't necessarily do it. Recommend doing it with a dagger. Maybe go to a stylist dagger. <laughs> go to a stylist and say, "Here, use this. Give him a dagger." I'd, I'd kind of want to do that though. Like they make it look so easy and so smooth, and look so nice when it's done. But in reality, of course, if you cut your hair with a dagger, it's going to look like shit. No, she's going to wake up in the morning and be staring in the mirror and be like, "Oh God, oh God, it's so ragged." Ah. <laughs> it's like when I was a dog groomer, and we'd have people who'd bring in their dogs after giving them their own haircuts. Uh, Can you save this? Can you save my dog? I'm going to have to now, aren't I? I I hope for her sake that that was a uh, that must have been a really sharp dagger because I imagine in mm. I've never tried to cut my hair off with a knife but I imagine that it would require a fair amount of chopping. <laughs> Again, when I was a groomer, like there was always this stage that people would go through when grooming school where they take their own clippers to their own hair just because, and it happened all the time. And yeah, it's <laughs> just one of those rite of passages, I suppose. I think Garnett is my favorite heroine. She's she's pretty cool. I like her. And one reason why, and I, I said this in my written report, everyone should go back and read it, uh, is because she does kind of do that, that tropey thing where she's like, hey, I want to come too. And they say, no, you can't do that. And she just takes off on her own. <laughs> and I like that because I am so sick of the, of the cliche where the female character whines and moans and like, you know, just sneaks in with the party anyway or forces her way in. But Garnett's like, no, you know what? You don't want to help me. I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing it my own way. And she did. Well, she definitely has her own arc and she's a well-developed character. And aside from the whole cutting off her hair thing, for the most part, she's much more feminine than say, she begins as like a princess and Mm -hmm. she doesn't really move away from being feminine but she's still like really strong in like her own way which i think is pretty cool and looking back on the whole history of final fantasy characters like final fantasy protagonists i I, like obviously celeste is really cool um Mm -hmm. i never really particularly cared for tifa or eris no, I was never a fan of either of them, yeah. or Yuffie, for that matter. Uh, Yuffie was just fun, but in a very kind of prototypical anime kind of way. Exactly. Renoa, yeah. like, I don't even know what the heck was going through her mind when she was looking at Squall. I guess maybe she, he's yeah. hot. <laughs> <laughs> he's hot with his low-poly face. I like I like her dog. 
She had a nice dog, Angelo. I remember the dog. He was a good dog. Uh, I like selfie is selfie is fun and very self actualized. Yeah, uh, she yeah. just she does just like whatever. She doesn't care. She's on her own thing. And Quistus is and boring. And so Quistus is every fanboy's dream. Yeah, Quistus really is a fanboy's dream. And then so you, you get into nine, and out of all of them, she's not a background character. She has her own arc. Uh, she probably comes the closest to matching Celeste just as a great, yeah. great, great character. And then, you know, looking ahead to other, the the Final Fantasies that followed, I, I mean, I guess uh, Yuna's okay. <laughs> Yuna's okay. Lightning, even though I don't like 13, I have no interest in it whatsoever. I do appreciate that we had, like, a, a, a stoic kind of strong female lead. The problem with lightning is that she was a very one-dimensional character and she was doing the whole big sister thing and they just basically her personality was as the plot demanded and just changed wildly from game to game essentially until she became like a god or something (laughs) or something happened yeah so it didn't even really matter in the end she was just a vessel for you to be like yep uh she's female cloud all right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep that's that's a good way to describe her i liked fran in in 12 yeah uh, yeah yeah unfortunately she was more a little more background but i did like her i liked the relationship she had with uh about um what's his name why am i blanking on his name he's the best character in the game mm. but i like the relationship she Baltier. had with him uh, fran Baltier, is very yeah. quiet uh but and very much a secondary character but i mean she's yeah, cool she speaks yeah when she speaks she has something really interesting to say i still love the one line out of her I loved was just like when uh, Vaughn is, is says to Balthier, like, you know, please let, take me over to my friend. She's been kidnapped, blah, 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 blah. And like basically he's like recruiting them, even though they're ready to go on their own. Fran and Balthier are ready to go on their own direction. Fran's just like, the gods are toying with us. <laughs> I just love how dryly she delivers it. But uh, I think. I think the thing that really stands out to me with Garnett is much like Celeste, she is the co-star of the story. Um, you could even argue that mm-hmm. this game is her, 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 this game is her game in. Yeah. And she is certainly one of the very core characters along with uh, Vivi and Zidane. So, and you can't yeah, actually that- say that as much about other Final Fantasies, even like, yeah, you know, was certainly a huge part of Final Fantasy X, but she mm-hmm. was also, I mean, Titus was absolutely the star of that game. Yeah. He he was front and center. All of the hangups and everything were kind of about daddy him. Issues. All the daddy issues were very much about him. The final boss was about him, for God's sake. Yeah. And yeah, Yuna's choice was a huge part of that game, but she was also the love interest where yeah. uh, Garnett um, is on her own journey independent of any romantic feelings with Zidane, so... Yeah, I mean, they're there, and that's one thing I also liked about Six, is that uh, Locke and Celeste were in love, but it was very, very subtle. Mm-hmm. And there was definitely a, a sub-quest where uh, Locke had to get rid of his past issues before he could really accept the fact that he was in love with Celeste. And I just love the way they did that. And it's kind of the same thing going on with Nine, where yes, there's something there, but each character has their issues to work through before they can really admit much. All right, so we're running out of time here, but so we're going to wrap up now. Uh, Nadia, what do we? What can we look forward to? What are you going to be doing? And any final thoughts? 
Uh, well, I'm going to keep playing Final Fantasy IX, of course. Uh, I just wrote the uh, fourth part of my written report, which was a big one. Uh, you should go back and read that. I think it's pretty good. I kind of talk a little bit about uh, Garnet's past, because that's one thing we didn't touch on this in this episode. But I talk about her past and basically what her adopted family did versus her, her biological family. So, uh, yeah, look into that. Yes, it's a nice little companion to the podcast. You can find that on the site, usgamer.net. Okay, Nadia, as always, we have comments from the previous uh, episode. Last week, we talked about the Xbox, and it's kind of interesting history with RPGs and what they meant to Western RPGs and that such. We forgot a game, and I mentioned this in the show notes, and I felt a little embarrassed. We totally forgot about Fable. Oh, dear. Yeah, we, that's right. We turned off Skype, and we're like, shit, we forgot about Fable, didn't we? That was kind of a major <laughs> one, wasn't it? Just a small thing, yes. Yeah, my problem with Fable was that it was always broken promises, and Fable 2 was the best of them, but at the end of the day, it wasn't that interesting, I don't think, Mm -hmm. and Fable 3 just annoyed the crap out of me with how it was such an interesting idea that was so... It was the... A great example of gameplay mechanics totally breaking the story. The the moral was really dumb. (laughs) They're going... Yeah, wasn't that like... Yeah? kind of like a just a very all or nothing game where they promise you can make choices and then your choices aren't very choicey well the kicker is you you lead the revolution to take over the kingdom great well then you find out that an evil enemy is coming in and you need as much money as possible to save your kingdom okay that's interesting and so you can get money by doing quests uh buying up real estate whatever that's cool but actually what you do is you buy up tons of real estate and because the story only advances when you decide to advance it, but time also is still going. Oh, right. You can literally just put the controller down and wait for your treasury to fill up from the <laughs> constant money rolling in from real estate. And then it just makes whatever heck moral you're doing yeah. completely moot. Because it's like asking you just, a, oh, well, you can, in, you can side with the greedy industrialists but you're going to make everybody unhappy, but you'll get the money needed to save the kingdom. Are you going to be a horrible tyrant and save everybody, or are you going to be really nice and let everybody die? Oh, actually, you can just buy a, become a real estate mogul. <laughs> I wish I could do that in real life. Uh, Put down the controller, wait for my bank account to fill up. Yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I should put aside the controller and wait for my bank account to fill up. That might be actually the right <laughs> answer. Uh, Nimsy says, I remember when the first Fable came out and the concept that your character could change based on how you played was introduced. Up until that point, game characters had always been static entities to me. Uh, that's true. Um, of course, that was a very JRPG thing to be a static entity. Uh, Western yeah. RPGs, they wouldn't change. They would change a fair amount, I, I believe. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, Mega Man Legends, it's not like a, a JRPG, but that was a game where... It would change a lot depending on, especially too, it would change a lot depending on how you acted. Uh, you could get townspeople to just hate you. <laughs> if you went around destroying their property, kicking their dogs and their pigs, um, Don't kick you could get rolled. Get... Don't kick pigs. <laughs> but they would bounce. That was my problem. Like, I kicked a pig and started bouncing. I'm like, holy crap, that's amazing. And I kicked the pig over and over. And next thing I know, my armor's black. I'm like, oh, shit. So uh, we were lamenting the loss of Lost Odyssey. Well, it's actually an X-word, uh, Xbox backwards compatible game. Yeah, I should play that. And that might be a really good subject for a report, if uh, though uh, my understanding is quite long. 
Yeah. See, uh, well, like, you'd give me an excuse. There's not my Xbox. Yes, it's right there. I'm Xbox One backwards compatibility. So thanks to everybody who reminded us of that. Bobby Watson says, Lost Odyssey is the main reason why I got an Xbox 360 way before I even ever bought a three- PS3. It's a shame this game was never ported to anything. For what it's worth, I liked it a lot more than 13 and 15. It really felt like an evolution of 7 and 8 more than any Final Fantasy game that came after it. Uh, Bobby Watson also sings the praises of Infinite Undiscovery, another game we didn't talk about, which, oh man, that game got savaged. <laughs> uh, by reviews back in the day it, it was a really messy game maybe the kind of the fall of Triace mm-hmm. uh, oh and they mentioned that they found Japanese imports of green tea Kit Kats in a US store so when they were traveling in Miami and Florida so yeah I might have to go <laughs> <laughs> Metman Master says I'm sure if I tried playing Morrowind today there would be a million little ways I'd find it a colossal pain in the ass mm-hmm. compared to its sequels, but man, I how I'd love to play Morrowind again. Regardless, barely tapped the surface, but I love just how weird and alien the world is compared to the safer settings of Oblivion and Skyrim. And uh, Robert Chesley19 expressed uh, disappointment with the podcast, but said, I understand the original Xbox wasn't the most popular console around, but I feel the games on it were great. Not No real mention of Jade Empire on the podcast was a shame. Oh, man, that's a really divisive one right there. Such an amazing game. as a really divisive statement. I know the 360 <laughs> had its own share of hardware issues. Also, I think the Xbox stretched what the term RPG meant. I know it's not considered one in a traditional sense, but Steel Battalion with this great giant controller really took immersion with the title to a new place. I understand time my husband... in the traditional oh, sense of the word, there weren't many RPGs on the console, but I think there were a lot of quirky titles on the Xbox that had RPG-esque elements to them. As someone who was invested in Xbox first before the PS2 or GameCube, really, many of the RPGs that uh, that era that I played were Xbox titles. X-Men Legends 1 and 2, Dark Alliance 1 and 2, KOTOR 1 and 2. Anyways, I enjoyed the talk about KOTOR, and I understand the scope of this podcast doesn't lead too much talk of other, about, of other parts of what made the Xbox great. Yeah, the X. There's a, definitely a core of people who really love the Xbox, the original Xbox. Yeah, and like I was saying, anytime my husband hears the word Steel Battalion, he's like, "Oh, I want that game" because he really, really likes the huge ass controller setup. I just like the fact that if you didn't hit the eject button, you would lose your your save. That it would be yeah, <laughs> and they had to <laughs> flip open the thing and press the eject button. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a really funny safety feature to have. I mean, I know it should be there, like if we're talking about like an actual mech, because you don't want to accidentally hit the eject button. But like, you miss those like extra seconds. But if you're on fire, like, do you have time to really flip up the thing and press it before you press the button? I, I, I was more anti Xbox than I should have been. It had back in the day. It was. It definitely had its share of quirky and interesting games. And yeah. It actually holds up a little better than I thought, though I I would contend that the PS2 holds up much better than the original Xbox. Yeah, if I had to choose between the two consoles, I'd still go with PS2. But Absolutely. I do really appreciate how Microsoft, it, it, it really elbowed its way in there. I mean, maybe that's kind of a weird thing to say about a, a multi-billion dollar corporation, but it pursued, it persisted, and no one really had any faith in the little in the system, but... It got it made its niche. <laughs> and finally, Kuni Nino has like a book length uh, comment about how Tales of Vesperia is probably the best Tales game, <laughs> and was expressing uh, frustration over how it got totally glossed over. Lesser games like Lost Odyssey and Blue Dragon got more time than probably the best JRPG to emerge from that generation. Whoa, hot take, Persona Four. <laughs> Persona Four, my friend. Though I guess that's PS Two. Uh, 
I don't know, uh, something better that came out in the 360 PS3 era that was better than Tales of Vesperia. Um, I never played Vesperia. Uh, I am maybe blanking a little bit on a better RPG that came out at that time. I guess Persona 5 was technically PS3. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's our answer. But uh, the people that actually played it were treated to a game that iterated on the classic JRPG formula to near perspective perfection you had a great cast a big old world and a really good action battle system that had the depth of a decent fighting game uh but and then they just keep on going so i recommend going and reading the comment in full it's a little bit too long to read but suffice it to say they really like vesperia and feel that it totally should get a whole bunch of attention so mm. all right nadia Axis Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Please subscribe. Do us a favor. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot, Nadia at Nadia Oxford. And we stream every Tuesday and Thursday on Twitch, twitch.tv slash U.S. Net. Like us on all of the social media channels. Uh, if you like the podcast, do us a favor. Leave us a comment and we would love to hear from you. We always love hearing from you um especially when the comments are positive yeah yeah that's nice positive comments they're great <laughs> that should be a poster positive comments they're great uh we, we do take constructive feedback as well and if you want to send yes. an email to us leave us drop us a line at usgamer at usgamer.net and we may read your email on the show okay we will be back, as always, next week to talk about more RPGs. Goodness, we're going to be talking about Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, mm-hmm. which I get to blow through this weekend. Got time to put aside Middle Earth Shadow of War, Nadia. I got to play some of that. Got to play some Star Wars Battlefront 2 single-player campaign. I'm going to be busy, busy. <laughs> yeah, you, you got your weekend spoken for you here. Yeah, I really do, but okay. We will be back, as always, next week. And for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. Until next time, happy adventuring.